uh, hello everyone and welcome to Green Talk, our new podcast dealing with sustainability. Today, we are very pleased to welcome Panut, our guest of the week, and talk about sustainable non-governmental organizations. So yes. Panut, you are the founder of, of uh, Yayasan Orangutan Sumatera Listari. Yes. Thank you very much for being with us today. And uh, as a start, uh, could you tell us what is OIC, which is the other name? It's uh, Orangutan Information Center. And what are OIC activities? Yes, uh, thank you for inviting me to this uh, green talk. And uh, I'm happy to share uh, all the information I have for you all. Uh, yes, an article from my study, or widely known as the Orangutan Information Center, is a local NGO working to uh, save the orangutans from the life threatening situations. And then, in order to uh, remove all these uh, uh, life threatening situations, uh, we have so many approaches and strategies to eliminate the threats, including community patrol. So this team actually conduct uh, forest patrol in the forest to prevent uh, forest crimes. And also we have uh, uh, human oral than conflict response unit, uh, a whole crew. Uh, this team is a mobile team to respond to any report of uh, conflicts between orangutan and humans or any uh, indication of potential uh, conflict incidents. And then this team is uh, very essential to give the first aid for orangutan potentially in trouble because of the forest loss, because of their uh, situation being pushed out of from the forest and then roam into the farmland that, that considered become pet. And that's the problem start when, when orangutan become pets. Not only that, oh, I see uh, it is actively doing uh, community engagement uh, by promoting uh, sustainable livelihoods uh, for providing trainings for local people so they uh, can be more connected to the uh, ecosystems and livelihoods is not uh, uh, separated from the healthy ecosystems when the ecosystem is healthy and then the livelihood can be supported and that's the idea how to connect between people forests and ecosystems and the, and the species, of course. And then we had education programs. So we provided a kind of um, awareness, uh, outreach campaigns, advocacy, and also supporting local communities in, in uh, fighting against, for example, destructive development plan like uh, hydro dam, for example, and also mining and expansion of plantations into the rainforest. And that's also part of the uh, uh, engagement, but more specific on, on us, a focused issue. But also we have uh, one of big projects like replanting program. So we call it as uh, ecosystem restoration. This is uh, one of the highlights of OIC program by actually converting uh, plantations, illegal plantations into red forest by planting many, many trees on the degraded area, degraded forest. And uh, we planted the decayed forest by involving local people and also by conducting training on local for local people so they can have capacity to conduct forest restorations, you know. And the benefits of the restoration now becoming very factual where 
we can see the, the growing forest and then species that already lost previously because of the expansion of the plantations now coming coming back to our uh, restored forest. So that's um, kind of yeah main highlights of YSC programs. Yeah, many activities with already great uh, results. Yeah, so very interesting. Uh, sorry, I just missed uh, one thing to say is that we also now been implementing kind of rescue center. So where we actually rescue animals that become victims of uh, wildlife trafficking, wildlife trade, and then we try to rehabilitate them and try to release them into the wild by uh, making more editing process in our rescue center. Yeah. Okay. So you just talked about the activities of OIC. So if we go back to uh, the creation, what were your motivations to create OIC? Yeah. Um... Uh, there are uh, there were some motivations uh, to start this OIC, but I think the bottom line is uh, I myself uh, in 2001 kind of uh, getting lost of why things broken, yeah, why the ecosystem our ecosystem is being damaged, and that's kind of instinct of uh, seeing disruptions by yourself directly and there you, you see any anyone actually trying to do something or to fix the problem. So um and I saw at that time is the booming of the the palm oil expansion in, in Indonesia and then uh, I saw many forests being lost, being sacrificed and but actually uh, not many young people uh, wanted to do something about it to even address the problem. People are very People were very uh, narrow-minded about this kind of expansion of these uh, commodities, never thinking about the impact. So I tried to actually bring the case uh, by doing something, by establishing OIC in order to have local actors, yeah, myself, putting uh, myself as a local person who, who, who will have direct impact on on these deforestations and then trying to engage uh, young people to uh, follow the conservation actions that I tried to uh, develop and establish back then. And it, it, it worked uh, slowly, of course. I mean, it that it didn't happen just straight away. It took time for, for me to even address uh, the problem in a holistic way. You know, at the beginning, I have to start piece by piece, you know, starting from education, starting from coming to schools, coming to villages, talking about the issue, talking about the case, but then it's not uh, really, really coming into one one result, one outcome that that, that that will address the trends, you know. So, and that is the real motivation motivation behind OIC is being, was being established. Uh, so we uh, have a center for fighting, for combating all these kind of crimes and anything that that actually uh, damaging the ecosystem, damaging the the orangutans and uh, livelihoods and forests, and then now with all what we're doing is actually uh, trying to combat the climate change. You know, because what we are doing was also helping with the you know climate uh, action. Uh, that we, that is currently becoming, you know, very very uh, essential for the world to, to address this climate crisis. Yeah. 
And uh, could you explain uh, uh, what is the creation process of your NGO and what were the constraints that you have faced and uh, the help that you have received also, maybe? Yeah, at the beginning, I, I just started by doing whatever possible uh, without having any institutional entity capacity building for the institutions of the real, uh, you know, working NGO. Uh, I just did it like that, you know, because it's not, not like passion to me. It's not like having a solid thought about doing something as a young people. But actually, I didn't do any institutional capacity by having a proper entity, legal entity, until actually the five years after I started OIT, then I have a proper legal entity as a NGO, you know. But that's the lesson learned that when when you wanted to do something, actually you don't just don't start from a legal entity formality, but actually you can start by your own ideas, your own innovation, your own uh, initiatives actually to do something to make difference. So if I started from the from the legal entity process, maybe I wouldn't done like what I done now because I just didn't uh, achieve it, you know. But then all you did. By having, uh, you know, uh, activities, recruiting volunteers at the beginning because I have no funding to uh, pay the salaries, even for myself, even for other staff. So I started by establishing volunteers in in an in a OIC. And then, yeah, I had surprisingly in 2003, then I had uh, many young people to join the volunteer uh, opportunities. Because uh, back then there was no such um, skill for young people to actually express the ideas to get involved in the conservation action or conservation fight for young people. It's not available at all. Then and even I only well I was able only to just recruit twenty people because I had hundred people actually wanted to join my force. But then yeah I tried to maintain this uh, volunteer opportunity until two thousand ten. You know. Uh, so half of our staff from 2005 to 2010 actually filled by volunteers, you know, which is very, which was very rare in Indonesia to have uh, NGOs filled by local volunteers, you know. Yeah. So I provided that the opportunity for young people to become volunteers and to become, you know, uh, new flag observations. And then most of uh, these volunteers actually now working in conservation NGOs. Even half of that of the volunteers that joined us, joined my force at the beginning, now becoming full-time staff, you know, I see since like uh, 2003, you know. So so they remain, they stay with us. That means they actually, yeah, wanted to, to do what they want, the job that they actually like as this, you know. And yeah, and then oh, I see grow and then we have now legal entities, yeah, local NGO and having developed so much uh, networking with the industrial NGOs and be become recognized. And then here we are now trying to keep fighting for the good cause here in Smart. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, so uh, you talked about the evolution. So how uh, is now uh, OIT structured and what is your role? Yeah, since uh, 2018, I was no longer the executive director of OIC. I was like, 
founding director or uh, CEO of the NGO, I would say, but I was not directly implementing, but actually overseeing uh, and then providing strategic ad, uh, advice on on the mission of YC and then uh, expanding and uh, working with uh, with the partners and potential partners and potential donors and then also still maintaining good relationship with the donors to support the work of OIC, which is really, really important. So because from the beginning until 2018, even now I'm still the, like the symbol of, or the mascot of OIC, the name and my face, you know, is still considered as the mascot of OIC, but I think this is not, not right. This is not healthy. I think uh, I believe that the NGO should not rely on one person as a as a, a mascot or as a symbol of a fight, but it should be blend should be blended into all the system, all the mechanism, all the strategic mission of OIC as OIC, not just a person. So I have been trying to actually develop such condition uh, where actually OIC should. Uh, fight SOIC, not because of a person, single person like Panut to be the symbol of the fight. No, it's not really correct to me. So it should be the NGO. Okay, I'm I'm part of the NGO that actually trying to achieve the mission of the NGO. Yeah. The, what are the main stakeholders related to your activities? And uh, how do you deal with them? How can they benefit or challenge the projects? Yeah, uh, I think um, that the main stakeholders are local people, and there is uh, the biggest challenge as well because the local people um, are uh, layered into different level. Uh, for example, in and the community directly in uh, living into the forest, and then at communities. Uh, you know, living in the suburb area, that that actually affect the way the ecosystem change. You know, uh, I mean, the deforestation actually changed the way people live. And that's how I believe because um, when when the forest lost and there are so many sheep in the in the livelihoods because of the people actually have no lands and losing their lands. So many young people actually come to the city. And come to the city and they have no skill to actually have a proper job. So they just remain in the, you know, a low skill job that, that put them not, not as, you know, as a good, uh, income. So that means the stakeholders actually in a very uh, critical situation because they are affected by deforestation and then they are faced by the poverty. And then this poverty will be the, the problem for and the threat for the rainforest for the orangutans. When the local people are, are in a, po a poverty line, that means uh, there are so many pressures to the forest. You know, uh, when, when expansion of land isn't into the area where local people have no more lands, and then they, they, they become a, a potential threat to rainforest because that means people will lose uh, their land and they, they will just see the forest as the, as the source of, uh, you know, livelihoods, and that will be imbalanced. I believe, and that's that's how I see it. the stakeholders in the, at the local community is very very essential to be engaged uh, and how we prevent this. But of course, it's, it is not easy, you know. Uh, just like let your hand it, uh, and then solution is over. No, it's not. Solution is always multiple, and then no single solution for this. 
different layers and we need to also work with other stakeholders to offer solutions for example uh, the government and even anthropologists you know who understand the the, the the change in the culture the behavior and why people actually shift from agriculture uh, to monoculture practices and from uh, village to rural to urban uh, style and that affect the way people actually see uh, the ecosystem and the forest and you know the expansion of plantation is it's seen as the future of young people they only see panoli for example is the, the future for their life this is not, not healthy you know when they see a monocultural uh, industry is, is uh, the future uh, i think it's the, the country will be in is at risk of losing the identity of culture when we really, really live in harmony with our forests you know but then if we have the insights of, you know, monocultural mindset, and then that will be dangerous for the future of our uh, culture, our society, and our ecosystem. Okay, and in the stakeholders, do you also work uh, with businesses, and how do you work hand-in-hand hand, uh, with them? Now, at the beginning, I, I was reluctant to work with the business because uh, it's very risky for us to work with business because there are many greenwashes issues, you know, with many, many industry to work with or NGO, but then actually it's all about greenwashing and, and then I was very, I would say, pessimistic about working with the business, but along the time and actually uh, working on this uh, conservation field with the threats are not being prevented because many policies in the government sector actually encouraging you know more expansion for example currently there are 14 million hectares of palm oil when i when i start my oic it's like half of that you know half of that 14 million when i started oic maybe around 6 million 67 million hectares of palm oil in indonesia but now it's 14 million hectares that means expansion is still happening and then uh, what we try to do is to stop the expansion, but the reality, the expansion is still uh, moving forward and then it's not really, really good. What I need to do to engage uh, uh, the business sectors, you know, the private sectors to actually work in conservation. So pushing them to limit the expansion by allocating the land that is just suitable for palm oil. And that means we need to push the government to stop expansion. And then if we didn't within the, the area that already developed for palm oil or other plantation commodities, uh, we need to engage the, the company to understand the impact, you know. And in order to do this, we need to engage the private sectors. That's the reality. The boycott is not a solution, I think, because boycotting palm oil, meaning that we uh, less regulate the production of the palm oil. And if we actually have no regulations to produce the palm oil, that means actually there are more disruptions will come afterwards. And then uh, at the end, I try to advocate any company who actually try to do good things with a good ethics and having a sustainability concept in their vision, then I, I'm happy to, do, to be part of their, their vision, ensuring the prevention of the you know, expansion and also killing some more or own plants in the landscape uh, by engaging the private sector. Yeah, and you are also working uh, hand by hand with uh, Lush and potentially uh, L'Oreal on, on the patchouli oil. And... Yeah, try to directly yeah work with the local farmers who have no connections with the buyers in Europe. And then this is something that we also try to engage the industry that uh, what's going on on the ground and it need to be no need to be understood by the 
the industry and the consumers, you know. And then, uh, yeah, and then this is part of the engagement with the practices that we have been developing so far. Okay, and uh, how international organizations are helping the cause and are they limited by the Indonesian government? Yeah, international organizations now actually, of course, they can still help. You know, they can uh, contribute to our good cause by partnering with OIC, partnering with other NGOs. And of course, 90% of our funding coming from international agencies, international funders, and then well, we, we can still work in partnership with the local NGO like OIC. It is still uh, possible, it is still doable. And then, of course, uh, there are some issues with the partnership when in, when involving big NGO, you know, coming to Indonesia, and then that that means they want to implement directly, and that will need a kind of mechanism, yeah, of partnership with the government of Indonesia because international NGO working in Indonesia when they implement directly, they need to have a kind of partnership with the government of Indonesia. But many international NGOs or international agencies they can actually directly work and have partnership with the local NGOs. Or national NGO, and then this will actually improve the capacity of a local NGO to work in a more holistic, uh, strategic way. And this means that this is the most effective way for international communities to support conservation. Yes. This, is how, this is how I see it. So international communities, international organizations actually can help by actually working with local entities, with local communities, rather than directly implementing. This, this will cost a lot of hassles, a lot of um, procedures that, that make, you know, a lot of headache. So I think uh, by allowing local NGOs, by allowing local communities, by allowing local uh, entities to work in the conservation with support from the international communities, I think that's um, a, a much better way. Uh, thank you very much. And for our audience, could you tell us uh, what they can do to help OIC and how they can engage in the help of endangered species in Indonesia and in the rainforest yeah. in general? Yeah, I think supporting OIC is, is, is a way to support you know, the conservation of orangutans because what we're doing is actually to secure their habitat and secure their life from, you know, from the threats. So I think um, international communities can help conservation of orangutans by helping local NGO that focus on the orangutan conservation. And then, um, like OIC, yeah. And then um, becoming volunteers for OIC can be a good way to support OIC. And also, if you can generate kind of uh, fundraising activities on your own country, and and then you can actually encourage people to give donations to uh, good cause like OIC, and that is also a way for helping. And then uh, also, uh, you can help our campaigns by you know speaking out more on the good cause and in the campaign messages that we want to deliver to the whole world it's also something that you can do through your social media any media channels and then uh, you can also become our uh, advocate you know we can become our representatives and this way you can actually work in your own way to become our you know wings in, in your own country to deliver the, you know, the kind of messages to, lo to local communities. And then actually, uh, the, the last thing I want to say, you can uh, help OIC by actually putting, uh, like, uh, putting effort for you to actually understand what you consume can be actually yeah. 
the cost of our foreign forest. So you you need you need to be aware of the impact of your making by even consuming the products. In a view, if you want to uh, support our work, and then you need to also aware of your consumption behavior. You know, your consumption behavior can actually you know, the cost of our rainforest. So that's something that you can do. Yeah, good to know. I think uh, our audience is going to be happy to know what they can completely do and have the cost. And um, as a last question, would you have any advice for people that would like to join an NGO or create one? Yeah, I think, uh, as I said earlier, that to start a good cost, sometimes you don't even need RTTE. It, it can yeah. be from your own initiative uh, as a good uh, thing to do, small things. They make a big impact, yeah. So that's something that I always keep saying. Then try to make good things, small things, but that make a, a big impact in a, in your own way. And it, this can be on your own initiative, your own group in your society, or you can set up a, an NGO to actually help the, the planet. I think what we need to do now is having more young generations that putting uh, our planet as the priority to be protected, to be safe. We don't even need another planet to yeah deal with the crisis, but we actually still have time. We still have hope to fix our problem in our own planet. I never think about other planets to uh, move to uh, other place, uh, but actually we still having, having time to fix the problem by actually doing a lot of good things, healthy things, and then doing sustainable things without destroying our planet, you know? Yes, there are a lot of things you can think of what you can do to help the planet. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Panut, for uh, taking the time of speaking about your uh, NGO OIC. Uh, I think it was very inspiring for our audience. Yeah, I'm going to share my thoughts, as I said, you know, and hope I hope this will be something to inspire young of course, yes. Yeah, we wish you all the best in uh, your future activities to OIC. And uh, maybe we, we give you uh, some uh, some minutes to tell if you, if you want to promote or share any upcoming projects of OIC. And if there is a website or a social media where uh, we can follow your your activities. Yeah, uh, you, you can uh, follow our website. You can, you can follow our Instagram, www.orlandcenter.org. Uh, and then also uh, our Instagram, you can find in Y-O-S-L-O-I-C. You can find Instagram. Uh, you can even Google my name. You can find the link to all the social media. Yeah, I hope it works okay for now. And then thank you for this. Yeah, podcast. Uh, I think this is uh, something really inspiring as well for local uh, people in Indonesia, in Medan, to also do something similar like what you're doing. I enjoy the time when I, you know, when I posted uh, Latin and other folks and the friends coming to our side. It's good opportunity for you to see uh, fresh hands activities and uh, you know all actions that we are actually on, are doing on the ground. And it's good to to witness the the process, the work, and so you understand more. And as I enjoyed the time when I came to, to your class and then talked to you directly, and very inspiring. All right, thank you so much, Panut. It was super inspiring, super interesting. I'm sure the audience is going to feel it that way also. And from our side, we invite you to join us in two weeks for the next episode of Green Talk. It will be with Olivier from Reparseb, a company that works with a great environmental and social impact. So see you later. Goodbye.